Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, White Sox fans. My name is Brett Valentini, and this is the Believe in White Sox podcast, in part because we haven't figured out a better name for it yet, but we are on the Believe Network. This is the first official podcast episode for the White Sox. We finally hopped on and got a roll. Perfect timing because the White Sox are now in first place and streaking. And I would like to quickly now and immediately introduce my partner in crime on this podcast. It's Tommy Barbie. Thank you for joining me on this, Tommy. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. And very happy to be on board with the Believe Network. Now, I think it's probably appropriate, given this is episode one or 1A or whatever it is, uh, that maybe we talk a little bit about ourselves and sort of where we come from to the White Sox, Tommy. And uh, I'm going to let you start with that. Uh, let's talk about uh, just even how you came to the White Sox as a fan. Yeah, um, you know, growing up in the, on the south side of Chicago, I've always been a huge White Sox fan. Um, and so, you know, growing up, I remember watching Carlton Fisk and, you know, Bo Jackson and Lance Johnson and just loving all those guys. And of course, Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura and Ozzie Guillen, but um, just always been a huge fan of the Sox. And from a, um, you know, covering the team standpoint, I started out with uh, Bleacher Report, dabbled in that. And then, um, you know, over time, thanks to you reading some of my um, innocuous Sox tweets, you're like, hey, this guy seems like he might have an angle. So let me bring him on board. And uh, I've been with Southside Sox since. Yeah, for everybody listening and sort of getting to know us for the first time, me and Tommy, our background is both going to be in terms of ongoing work with the White Sox. It's through SB Nation Southside Sox blog. Uh, I'm in charge of that blog. We have a great, great diverse by age, gender, uh, ethnicity, uh, masthead, which is something you're not going to find probably among any mastheads anywhere, any sport, really, certainly not in the White Sox world. It's something I think we're all pretty proud of and Tommy's hopped on doing a lot of recap duty uh last year Tommy uh did some of the beat reporting uh as such given the fact that you couldn't actually get into a locker room but you were certainly the guy I want to say you sort of took the last leg because you did pretty much like a week of games in September and in fact you uh were working the clincher the, the clincher, clincher. Yeah. so really it's perhaps your fault or maybe it's not your fault it might be your fault that then they decided to not win a game the rest of the year tommy please uh i was selfish what can i say what's, what's up with that man so you know needless to say he's not back at the ballpark this year uh well anyway with Southside Sox, we don't get to cover uh in person at least as of yet white socks uh get on board uh, with uh, Catch the Wave, uh, Southside Sox, obviously I'm a little uh, biased, but I think in terms of the content provided, in terms of the eyes that see our material, in terms of the um, hilarious uh, tweets committed by, it's one of us, it's me or you, Tommy, it's one of us, the hilarious tweets from that account. Uh, and uh, yeah, just the the all-encompassing nature of what it is we do. There's certainly a lot of coverage out there for the White Sox, be it from the professional ranks or from what you would call, I guess, the amateur ranks, the blogging ranks. I'm not really sure there's a site out there that necessarily does it with the intensity, with the sense of fun, with the attention to detail, but also with the breadth that uh, we do, uh, whether it's minor leagues, which I think we cover every bit as good as Future Sox, uh, the majors, which I think, you know, though maybe some of the material do can just be, hey, the cursory stuff of this is what happened in the game, move on to the next one. Uh, the analysis we throw out there uh, gets pretty deep. So really, folks, maybe getting to know us for the first time, uh, Southside Sox is something you're going to want to check out. It's going to be what me and Tommy are going to be referring to an awful lot uh, as we go on with this podcast, because that's the backdrop of the work we do. Um, Absolutely. You know, I gave myself a bit of an intro for our little teaser. I'm guessing that anybody listening now probably did not hear the Believe in White Sox uh, teaser. So I'll quickly run through a brow that just says that, you know, I've been covering the Sox, writing on the Sox uh, pretty much since the World Series year. That was the first time I actually was in print for the White Sox, actually had an article in the World Series program 
believe it or not, that's sort of like a rookie who just shot to the top. I don't know how that happened, but actually, Tommy, you might not know this. My first article for the White Sox and their game program, being that we're both music guys, I definitely yeah. know you're a music guy, was a story about the uh, the Beatles playing at Comiskey Park. On much was Ralph. it really? Yeah, I don't know how they, <laughs> how they chose me for that. I think I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. But uh, yeah, that was my first piece for the White Sox. That's amazing. That's not the one, that's not the one that made the World Series program, but uh uh, at any rate, you know, on and off, at least for, uh, you know, since then, um, I did take a little break to cover uh, one season of the Blackhawks. It happened to be the year they broke their 49-year drought of winning the Stanley Cup. And I'm not going to say, Tommy, that I'm a good luck charm, but when I, right after getting, literally, Tommy, getting off the bus of the World Series parade, moving, putting my White Sox uniform on, putting my White Sox duds on and going to CSN Chicago, that's CSN, what it was called yeah. then, mm-hmm. now the NBC Sports, went there to try to persuade them to move me from the Blackhawks, which I like hockey fine enough, but it's not baseball. Right. So I showed up there like in full uniform to try to convince them. And obviously, clearly they were convinced because they were probably <laughs> frightened uh, and got to do the uh, White Sox beat for a couple of years. And my first 30 games covering the team started about mid-June, right after the, the, the hockey parade. They went, uh, they won 25 out of 30. So Tommy, I thought, you know, this is sort of easy. Uh, All I got to do is show up and teams win. And there uh, you go. That really doesn't explain some of the work I did for the early OO's Chicago Bulls, but that's really another subject for another podcast. Probably not this White Sox uh, podcast. That's a much longer story. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to end in tears. Uh, So yeah, uh, yeah, just to wrap it up, you know, where, where, where we're at, where we're both at, Tommy and I both, uh, Southside Sox, and, uh, you know, we cover it all, and we're going to talk about it all here, and at, hopefully judging by the laughs per second, laughs per minute that we've had already here on this podcast, I hope you know out there listening that, uh, first and foremost, we want to have some fun with this. It is, after all, it's just a sport. It's the White Sox, so you know it's going to be funny, um, and we are certainly going to get soon into how the white Sox are doing and that's all smiles that might not even be laughs tommy that might not even be laughs but let's no. talk a little bit about the state of uh white Sox writing white Sox coverage uh your take on what's out there uh the the tone of it maybe other uh other people you're reading that maybe even our listeners might be interested in uh, in following and checking out yeah it's um you know it's all smiles right now like you said <laughs> it it helps a lot when you you know, the, the Sox are streaking. They swept the Royals. They're heading into a, a Twins team that is really kind of fading fast. Um, so it's it's a lot of a lot of good things that are happening. I think the biggest um, controversy, if you want to call it that, is really around Yasmani Grandal and whether or not his, um, you know, what, 122 batting average is a problem when he is getting on base at a clip that frankly I haven't seen personally since like Barry Bonds and that was usually intentional walks so I mean he's just being a statistical anomaly right now and I don't know if that's a beacon of things to come or if it's a fluke until he starts hitting but either way it's been a very interesting uh topic around you know what he is and what he's going to be well, to that point, Tommy, I don't know if you caught this, but I'm not sure if you saw Ozzy Ian. I, I, I had the privilege yes. to cover on the beat. Uh, that, that, I mean, I believe he actually deleted uh, what he said about the fact that, I guess the gist of it was, why are you, why are the White Sox, White Sox had sent out a tweet saying that there was a record pace or a record clump of walks that Yasmani Gridal had taken. And you're right to point out, this is not a Barry Bonds or a Babe Ruth situation. This is a guy who's like, I don't know why they're not throwing to him. I mean, it, it speaks to his eye, but right. throw three down the middle. I'm not really sure because at, at this point he's not doing anything with them. Uh, and yeah, no. Ozzy basically made fun of that. Like, don't celebrate that he walked. And I mean, it seems pretty funny. A guy with like a 3% walk rate in his career, a guy who walked like maybe Barry Bonds in his, in, in one season might have had more walks than walked more his than career. his career. Really yeah. close. Uh, that's a good bar bet to try to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I guess, I guess he deleted it. So maybe he did actually for once think better or something. I, I don't know, but, uh, I guess speaking, you brought up Yasmani. I just figured that was a, that was a, 
that was a pretty fresh topic today. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, okay, the White Sox are in first place, and let me switch over here. We're going to just get a little bit of a backdrop on what the situation is with the White Sox in baseball. They've got the best run differential in baseball, and it's been a, it's been a while they've been in the top five, almost immediately yep. at the start of the season. I think now for a good week, even though they still weren't even uh, alone in first place, that they were pretty much one, two. I think the Dodgers maybe were ahead of them in the, in the National League. They were there fighting it out with Boston for a while. Now they're clearly the number one. Hey, by the way, you'll be happy to know, Tommy, the magic number for the White Sox is just 130. Oh, great. So, pretty sweet. <laughs> Here uh, we go. <laughs> when you take into account the run differential, the White Sox are playing at a pace. Again, we know what their, their pace is not nearly this good. Their pace is probably mid-90s wins right now. I can't do the math that easily yeah. in my head. But if you take into account run differential, this is a 109-win team. That is mm -hmm. going to win the division by 19 games at this pace, even though the White Sox right now are just a game in front of Cleveland. So right. the way this could play out is very delicious. And it seems to me, Tommy, that this is all about, it's a lot more about run suppression than it is about run production with the team exactly. the playing right now. Exactly. And, you know, they're, they're number one by a lot in terms of team ERA. Um, you know, it was over a run difference between them and the next place team. So, I mean, they are pitching at a incredible level that is, you know, obviously going to grant 2005 comparisons to that, that team and what the pitching staff did for them then, but it's just, I think the depth of the bullpen right now and now that things are clicking that even in games where Giolito or Lynn don't necessarily go the full seven eight innings even leaving out of the fifth you still are getting quality innings from guys like Kopech from guys like Marshall that are just coming in and pretty much shutting the door and preventing any damage from happening and and that's really that's a good starter for everything. Um, and, you know, there's going to be, I think, heading into June, the warmer months, there will be more conversation around this new baseball and whether or not Major League Baseball took it too far because guys like Wade Miley, for whatever reason, are coming out throwing no hitters. Um, but this is where the White Sox are kind of trending in the right direction because they already had the pitching in place going into the season. And now that you find out that the ball doesn't seem to be doing that much right now, it might even be more beneficial for the White Sox than it is for some of the other teams in the league. I feel like we're going to do something to the team if we talk too much about it. So I'm, I'm not, a, <laughs> not a superstitious guy, but it makes me nervous to point out the fact that two guys that – perhaps in, in on other teams, championship contending teams might not even been assured of, or even been given a rotation spot to begin the season. Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon are clearly at this point. I mean, it's hard Dominating. to say Dylan. They are the two best stars on the team. Yeah. We saw just with Lucas, what he just did today. He, he gutted out the win, which is a sign of a, a real ace where he doesn't maybe have his Christmas stuff, but still manages to, to, to stumble through, you know, five, six, uh, give minimal damage. Um, so that's great, but he has not been on uh, other than maybe the first two, three starts of the season. So really, if there's guys who are the ascendant aces on this team, no offense to Jerry, uh, uh, to uh, Lance Lynn, because he hasn't been terribly efficient, even though he has no. had some dominant games, Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon are the two guys who are like, holy cow. I mean, at this point, it's ridiculous to think that if the playoffs started today, you might be like, geez, I sort of want to make sure those two guys get the ball first. Get a look. Exactly. Yeah. And, and who'd have thunk that going into the season, right? <laughs> I mean, again, it's like we talk about it and somehow this spell is going to break. But, um, and you know, we've all, I've certainly been, I think all of us have taken turns being Dylan Cease naysayers. And believe me, what? two maybe three solid starts in a row now is certainly nothing to go nuts on just like we can't exactly book Rodon for the Cy Young given the fact that the guy's average like 12 starts a year in his career right but the fact that what it would already have been a pretty good rotation a pretty good top three even though all three of those guys have struggled or even had a little nagging injuries is now supplemented by it's just sheer ridiculousness. Uh, I mean, these guys are five strong. And at this point, you don't even know who you would necessarily want to hand the ball to first. No offense to even Lucas Giolito. It's like, wait, 
who does take it first um, if you really had this must-win series coming up? Because, I mean, these guys have output. I mean, I, obviously, I'm flabbergasted. I, I, really, I can't even put the thoughts together uh, to explain how delightful it is that guys, that, you know, really by any stretch should have at least been competing. I guess technically Rodon competed. The competition um, ended pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, about, yeah. About a start or two into spring training. But uh, for two guys who sort of backed in the rotation, Cease was never even under any sort of threat. He sort of had the four and it would have taken something, right. you know, catastrophic happening to him or some kind of bizarre, you know, Clayton Richard signing and he goes crazy in spring training to, to knock him out. Uh, that these are the guys, uh, you know, that are proving perhaps to be, uh, have fresh enough arms um, and finally maybe have, have put it together. The early returns with Cease were like, well, I don't know. I don't know if Ethan Katz has figured anything out with the guy because he's still you know, he's been still sort of lazy with his pitches, but yeah, man, this last, this last stretch has been like, holy cats. Uh, we're, we're good pun, Brett. Uh, you know, this is a guy who could end <laughs> up being, he could be an all-star pick at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think if you're Ethan Katz and um, it goes anything close to what it's doing right now, as far as Cease and Rodon in particular, like that is, you can punch your ticket for most of your career just based on that alone um but yeah i mean going into um watching both radon and cease in spring training i i could see a lot of what cats was doing because he had three guys that it seemed like he was focusing a lot of his effort on and it was those two and the third was ronaldo lopez and lopez unfortunately as we've talked about has the mental aspect as well as the mechanics that have just been i think too much for him to fix at once Cease, for his part, has mostly been mechanics, where you can see just based on where he's throwing, whether or not he's on. Because if he's locating his fastball and his off-speed stuff, and it's coming from the same arm slot, guys can't figure it out. And if it's over the top, he has enough control to get it over the plate, or at least close enough that it looks like a hittable pitch. But when he's struggling... And I think it was the first, it was the second start that he made after his complete game, uh, seven inning game, where he had that one inning where he started to falter a little bit and Grandal came out and talked to him. And you could tell that it was like, all right, that light bulb went off again. Okay, here's where I need to do. Here's where I need to focus. And he's been able to really figure it out in terms of the mechanical release point. And that's good, um, especially since he's starting to repeat it. For Rodon, it's been the classic case of here's a max velocity pitcher now understanding after so many injuries how to finally pitch a, a true ball game and focus more on changing speeds rather than overpowering guys with this fastball or throwing that, you know, cartoonish, you know, curveball that he used to have coming out of college. And that's something that I, you know, most guys don't figure out until they're in their thirties. So for him to understand it now and become comfortable being that kind of guy has been really impressive because um, there was a stat that I saw where his average velocity is four miles per hour less than it was last year, but he's pitching at a much higher effectiveness. And it's just, Katz has really gotten these guys to focus on pitching instead of velocity and it, it's really paying off and that seems like a theme of, of something that Katz is working with these guys on because I, I know at the very least we've heard about uh, Michael Kopech is another guy who says hey listen I'm not pushing 100 anymore but my exactly. fastball is better yeah um, and you know I don't even pretend to know how that exactly works but obviously it, it, it has to do with attending more to your mechanics enough to be able to do more with the pitches you have it's not as if 96 miles hours anything to it's slow exactly yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah and this thing is scary about dylan ceases he's the he is the most unflappable dude and maybe mm -hmm. you know to some degree it's like okay maybe that's not a good thing it's just like hey does you know uh, the easy thing as a fan is like well, does he care he's just got this right. straight ahead look it doesn't matter if he wins or loses but this is a guy who might have the most mental strength. And obviously he's a guy who's Agreed. done a lot of the, 
you know, the meditation, you know, he's, he's the most, you know, he's the most Zen in the rotation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that can really work for you, given the fact that invariably, I mean, again, we're talking like he's head of the hall of fame suddenly, but I mean, invariably he's going to have another rough start or just even a rough inning that he's going to have to find a way to navigate through. And man, if he has at just about the time, the odometer has clicked over to pretty much a year's worth of starts. He's really just a year into a career, even though it's stretched over now three seasons if that odometer click has told him now, okay, I'm in my second year now and I'm getting it. I mean, that's, that's kind of scary. I mean, it's scary in a good way, but it, it's true. Cause, and that's why I was one of the few I know that was never really off the C-SPAN wagon was because of that exact mentality, because, you know, you see him get knocked around and he goes back to the dugout and he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And Sometimes you you chalk that up to being a rookie because you don't know what you don't know, but he's always kind of demonstrated that ability to just kind of focus in on the here and now and not really worry as much about the noise as, as some other younger pitchers tend to. And he didn't benefit from the fact that he sort of came to the Sox in this, this clump of three arms with Giolito yep. and Lopez and really both Giolito and Lopez, obviously Giolito, um, failed you know um fabulously there at first but both of those guys had these breakout games that cease really hadn't had yet and it was just easy because they were associated you sort of just assumed he'd been around longer he should be figuring out quicker it was really hard to remember that geez this is a guy who's still 12 starts in maybe 20 yeah. starts in and it's tough to have that patience and maybe some of that composure works against it because it's like well this guy looks like he's a he looks like a guy who's been in a major league rotation for a few years um you know why isn't he's he not throwing it? it yeah exactly and it's it's just delightful to see uh, what is happening with his rotation and you know even you know we, you made a reference that 2005 and obviously they had you know stretches certainly when uh, when the chips were down and it counted they were exactly what any team needed uh, uh you know needed them to be but you know and and you're going to go back to 1983 uh right. where the I think they lost, I think the starters lost like five games in the whole second half of the season. I mean, obviously we've seen runs before, but even in 2005, as strong as that rotation was, they still needed time to sort themselves out. There's Absolutely. no doubt, especially relative to the league, given, as you pointed out, how much better they are than the league right now. I mean, this is some extraordinary stuff that you can not only be doing well in any era, but for now that they're this far ahead. I mean, even if you look at the, some of those dopey as a run differential, they're far ahead, ahead of most of yeah. the teams like, holy absolutely God. there's no other i mean there's no other team on pace to win 109 games yeah big sound run differential and again i'm not you know tommy i'm not going to hold the white Sox to that but <laughs> it's sort of nice to see that number just even like understanding that we're only in may but just the way that the Sox are trending and have just kind of hit this extra gear it's really interesting to see i mean i, I it has been even thinking about some of those historic White Sox teams, they haven't had Mm -hmm. this type of run where not only are they outperforming expectations, but frankly, they're outperforming the rest of the league. All right, Tommy, let's talk about another number that's not as nice a number. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the standings I'm looking at, the the heading is um, X uh, win-loss. I actually don't even know their first, so I have a feeling that's Pythagorean. Yep. And it has them at, uh, it has the White Sox as being the, the true record, two games worse than what their record should be. Again, pretty much based on run differential, I believe. Right. Um, I have a little stat I play around with that people just generally don't seem to be very turned on by, but it doesn't stop me from continuing <laughs> to use it. I like to call it M war, managerial okay. war. It takes into account, um, I ascribe it to the manager, but of course it can involve luck, it can involve travel, it can involve clubhouse coming. You know, obviously it's all the stuff that isn't going to show up as war on the field, right? right. I'm ascribing all that to managers. Right now, Tony La Russa, because even with Pythagorean and run differential, you're, you are going to point out that either Tony's very unlucky or maybe he's not yep. doing a good job. It could have nothing to do with him. It could have a lot to do with him. Now, if you project what his manager award is based on, he's already at about minus 0.8. And this is early in the okay. season. So that projects to about minus almost four and a half. So he, if he keeps this up, would be costing the White Sox 
four and a half games this year. Now, again, mm-hmm. if you, in this division, you can maybe it's afford okay. to have yeah. <laughs> as your manager. Yep. <laughs> Very odd, but uh, but I guess as long as we're talking about the great number, I guess let's talk about the number that evolves. And I'm not really sure if the criticism that he gets is completely warranted. I think in some some in some areas, it's it can be unwarranted because things like the 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 most recent gaff uh, just a few games ago, running Liam Hendricks on second base because he doesn't know the oh, yeah. I'm really not sure how. Rick Hahn, Ken Williams, Miguel Cairo, Ethan Katz, Frank Manichino, Jose Abreu, Liam yep. Hendricks. None of them say, um, are you sure? Hey, hey, manager. Hey, Justin, <laughs> Tony's not like, no, this is what I want. Exactly. I want my yeah. million dollar closer I demanded to get uh, on second base. So he right. hurt himself. Um, but that said, he's obviously the center of any of these ridiculousnesses and Mm -hmm. um so tommy i guess what i need to know is talk to me a little about tony russo (laughs) that's what i want to hear i am so first and foremost i have to say i'm one of the people that is not ever like i've never been wholly sold on a manager like i think a manager's job is to of course maximize the capabilities as much as he can handle within the game and sometimes that has more influence than others but i would say you know net you're talking about on average two to three ball games over the course of a year maybe um there are lots of managers that have been derided as being pretty awful but have still managed to win championships and games and the comparison that I would actually use instead of the 2005 White Sox would be the Royals when they won the World Series and everybody was talking about how awful their manager was in Ned Yost and statistically in every advanced sabermetrics category that you could look at, he was always one of the worst managers in baseball, but the Royals still won. And I think it's kind of the same weird place that the White Sox are in now where whether it's that game with with Hendricks at second or the time that he left Giolito in far too long where it was clear that Giolito was running on fumes and Tony just kind of was like all right you're the ace wear it and (laughs) whether it's any of those situations there have been I would say from what I could tell probably at least two or three games that you could make a very serious argument that Larusa costs them those games. Um, there are also things that have worked out really well, whether it's the way that he's managed this Royal series, whether it's the decision-making in Cincinnati, a lot of those decisions worked out well for the Sox. Um, you know, even lineup construction, I think Yoan Mankata batting third is not something that most people had in their minds, and it's worked out incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, same for Grandal, where because he's walking at such a high rate, he's giving a lot of opportunities for the guys at the bottom of the lineup that are struggling to see pitches that they wouldn't get to see if it was another lineup construction. So there's been things like that that have worked out well. And it's just, I think it is the uncomfortable nature for, of the hiring of Larusa that has set up all of these weird expectations and dialogue, whether it's between the White Sox and the media, where you hear these <laughs> stories that are, you know, rumblings or whatever, and even to a certain extent between the White Sox and Larusa and the players, where you are saying that you're going to go in one or one direction as an organization and now you're not um even when albert pujols was dfa'd it wasn't rick Hahn giving a statement on the white Sox level of interest it was tony larusa giving a statement on the white Sox level of interest so just like even little things like that are not really working under the normal operating procedures and i think that's kind of what has everyone 
in this really weird flux of, I don't know what's happening, but the White Sox are winning. So I think I'm happy, but I'm also really uncomfortable because this could go absolutely haywire at any minute. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, obviously, a lot of the discomfort people have, my, certainly myself included, is the White Sox promised for the first time since that for the first time since 2003, unless you count trying to get Paul Canerco to be player manager uh, in 2012, um, well, yeah. is, uh, is the fact that uh, they promised uh, an honest managerial search. And even had they done that, if they talked to AJ Hinch and got the the, the details on the garbage can and mm-hmm. talk to this guy and the other guy. Uh, and then still, and if Jerry came in at the end and said, Hey, guess what guys, I got a great idea and you're going to do it. But at least they still would have done the dog and pony show of what they promised to do. And does that apply really to anything on the field? And, and do I get to hold that disgust with me now here in May? Not really, because it has something to do with how we got here. Not really what's going on here. If anything, Tony might've won. I don't think anybody was fighting for Tony Russo to be their manager. He right. sat back, contemplated how he was going to spin the, the, the DUI news coming out mm-hmm. um, and said, okay, guys, do your thing. Cause this is going to make it better for me. Right. I'm not going to have to catch all this hell and this nonsense, which is legitimate hell and nonsense mm-hmm. to say, Hey guys, you said one thing. And like two weeks later, completely. Tony LaRusso. Yeah. And I don't think it's cause he's like cutting edge, you know, sabermetrician, you know, anymore, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, a couple of things I want to follow up on you. Uh, okay, the fact that you um, so, sort of both sides, the thing on what uh, Tony Luce had cost the White Sox versus what he's held the White Sox. Basically, you just validated the fact that he has cost the team roughly about 0.8 of a win. So you validated my MWAR um, yep. data. I appreciate that, Tommy. That's really cool. But listen, it's science <laughs> and you just validated. And also, your mean Mercedes, I know he's not making a lot of money. He had better be getting room service to deliver a delicious um, steak dinner or, you know, like if, if Yasmani is, he's, he's sort of crazy cat. So if he's like vegan or something, getting one of them great vegan steaks every yep. night, because if he gets to hit behind Yasmani Grandal. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It could be, it could be triple crown. Yeah. <laughs> if he gets hit by that guy. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and again, a to your point that manners might not really matter as much as I've decided like, try to like invent a stat about it, even though I don't know what I'm doing. The White Sox, unfortunately, they're on the bad end, but over 120 seasons, managers cost them 59 games. So really that's a half a winning year. So it certainly yeah. does back up like, eh. I mean, there's been some some phenomenally ugly years. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. Harry Bevington years. Harry Bevington there's been will always be the example. Delightful um, um, years where it's like, holy cow, Jimmy Dykes was a fabulous manager. You know, it's a fun thing to gain, dig into. But yeah, the bottom line is, sure, they write out the lineup card and decide who goes. But I mean, the rest, the bench is only still so th- you can only screw it up so much. We've right maybe seen this year that you actually can screw it up pretty much. But uh, okay, let's uh, before we address oh as briefly as possible because who wants to talk about that. Yahe Yahoo's uh, in Minnesota. Uh, let's address, I guess, the the aside from Tony Larusa, the roughest aspect of the White Sox, and that has just simply been injuries. This team has managed to put together pretty good offensive production. Uh, a team that's walking at a better ratio, still probably not great, but a better ratio than we've maybe ever seen in our lives. Certainly, absolutely, in the last decade or so for a White Sox team. Um, and they're really muscling through some difficult situations when Adam Eaton is like your established veteran and maybe even best outfielder left standing. That's a absolute That's scary. Circumstance. Yes. When Danny Mendix like, Hey, uh, you got a right fielder's club. I know you only played left in the minors, but hey, go out the right. Yeah. Okay. Coach. Great. Yeah. And he, and he actually is pulling it off. Okay. Um, you know, as much as we can say a team can't be expected to weather the type of injuries where you're losing <laughs> Eloy Jimenez for an entire year, Luis Robert, likely an entire year, Luis Robert, perhaps for five, six, uh, two thirds of a season. That's tough stuff to weather, but you have to. And the White Sox, I mean, again, thanks to the pitching, they're still managing to sort of eke this stuff out. Mercada stepping up, Tim Anderson stepping up, Jose Abreu, he's having this, 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 this spot greatness where maybe he's one every four games. That might be what we can expect from him from here. I mean, he's, right. he's getting up there. Uh, what are are your feelings about this office is something that can um, sustain are we just waiting uh and gonna swallow hard where we go like a week and score three runs or no i mean this that's the area where you know 
Han may not have picked the manager, but this is where Han gets to make or break his season and what it looks like. And it's just, you, you have to figure out a way to put, to be creative and, and put a better team on the field than what you have right now. Because you, you've got, I have no idea how the White Sox were able to luck through a series of having Andrew Vaughn, Lurie Garcia, and Danny Mendick as the starting outfield. And, <laughs> and there wasn't like yakety sacks playing in the background <laughs> as they're kicking the ball around the outfield. Like that was just, that was a minor miracle. If you want to call it a managerial achievement, outstanding. I don't care if he's Hank Aaron and Luis Robert combined. There's no reason to put Danny Mendick in right field continuously and just keep him there for an entirety of the game. Like I just, that shouldn't happen. So, you know, I know the Sox sign Brian Goodwin. He's in Charlotte right now. Um, Cause I guess he needs to warm up to be better than Billy Hamilton. So whatever. Um, but that's where you know as you kind of look at your minor leaguers and see who's doing well who's not doing so well you start to kind of package your trade chips and you look towards june maybe july i think july is pushing it but i think really around june that's kind of where you'll hit that period where some of the guys that are hitting really well maybe even your mean aren't necessarily performing at that high level and what does that look like if Jose Abreu continues to struggle and things aren't quite as crisp? You need other guys that can step in and help out. And frankly, Jake Lamb can't be that guy. And that's that's okay. He shouldn't have been anyway. So who do you get that's either already in the minors or is available on the trade block to help kind of fill in the rest of the team? And to bring it back to 2005, that is one thing that the Sox were really good at. They didn't have it as much on offense, but even, you know, whether it was Carl Everett or the rotating uh, revolving door of closers that they had to bring in throughout the year, Mm -hmm. they had guys that they were like, okay, if this piece doesn't work, I've got another piece in reserve that I can plug in that's going to make an impact. And I don't have that confidence in, in Rick Hahn or the front office. Yeah, I don't think Rick Hahn's GM card should be revoked. I do think it needs, I think at this point it should be suspended yeah. because this is, I mean, let's face it, this is some dereliction of duty and it's pretty hard to beat on anyone with the organization given the fact that they are now streaking into first place just a full game in first place but seems like they may be turning that corner uh, that they need to to put a kick that by the end of may they could really put some space between them and the rest of the lousy 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 american league central but and 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 the temptation now is well geez like two starters got hurt and this happened and that and now adam means all banged up like what do you expect problem is when the first injury happened tommy they had nothing they had nothing that's the problem exactly <laughs> you gotta at but, least have the first guy like all right <laughs> we sort of don't miss a beat better defense in left field and uh hitting that's maybe going to be uh close to as good that's what you got to prepare for right and i don't think nick williams you know was that no and i mean but that was the demand from people even going into the season was hey that's not great, but okay, you sign Adam Eaton to this $9 million contract. What else? Like, Eaton hadn't played a full season, and I can't remember how long. And you know that Eloy Jimenez and Walls don't get along, and nice. Luis Robert sometimes is, is can have issues yeah. as well. Yeah. So why would you have this outfield constructed in such a way that between the three of them, you might get 100, 120 games max and not have a plan B of even just an extra guy off the bench to help spell those guys that can fill in as needed. And that's that's where for all of the focus during the season on Tony LaRusa, Rick Hahn won't be able to just kind of chill out in the background for very long because it's quickly going to become where is the depth that you're providing 
to help see this team through for the rest of the year. Because it, frankly, it screwed the Sox last year with the pitching that Han didn't deliver for Ricky Renneria. It might be the same thing on offense for for this year. Well, Tommy, I got good news for you. Uh, I have been um, abnormally close to our Southside Sox minor league updates early in the season because some of the people we have usually writing, some of the brilliant writers have like Julie Brady's um, doing, I think she's like doing her final law school exams before she like becomes yes, a lawyer or something like <laughs> okay priorities but i know okay um so i'm a little more hands-on and so i therefore because i've been hands-on and i think i've written three uh, that makes me an expert time so i'm happy to tell you that the depth you're looking for i believe you're going to find in birmingham by the way birmingham though apparently regions field is not a good place to hit they are going bonkers in the first week of the season and hitting the hell out of the ball i think you're going to be looking for zach granite Former Minnesota twin, Zach Granite, I think could be the savior. He could just, he might, he's tw- like he's 28. 29, but, but he's going to okay. like, triple <laughs> A, it's going to be like um, Ryan Lemaire. Lemaire, yeah. Ryan Lemire, another like Minnesota thing. It could just could happen again. And for maybe one game, oh, it would be beautiful. And then we'll go back to harassing uh, Rick Hahn. Okay. Speaking of Minnesota, Tommy, I believe we are seven games ahead of the Twins right now. I think that's yep. right. Uh, the Twins are horrible. Uh, uh, Donaldson has hit like two homers. He's getting paid like $50 million a homer. A homer, uh, yeah. They decided, um, I guess they thought it was going to be clever to buy Alex Colomay on the cheap. And they found out then they looked on the tag and it said no returns. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, um, Brian Buxton, who, I mean, makes Luis Robert look like truly like Superman and that literally physically because Brian Buxton is even faster and slighter than Luis, but much more breakable. And Luis yeah. is by no means durable uh, is now out for for probably oh, a wow. Robert or Jimenez length of time. Absolutely. So as much as at first it seemed like, well, the first month is a little kooky and this is a crappy division. So who knows? Man, White Sox catching a little stride. You got to be terrified of that pitching staff. Even if a bunch of things go wrong, it's going to be like no worse, it seems like, than last year, which I, is pretty bad. Yeah. But it's not happening anytime soon. You're Minnesota. I mean, at this point, I, you're going into Chicago to try. I mean, there's almost like a must-win series. And I, I don't think they have any uh, confidence they can must-win anything against the White Sox. No, but I, I think it is a must-win for them because they – pretty much stacked their roster. I, it, it's as much as the twins can stack a roster. They stacked their roster going into the season, I think with full playoff intentions and expectations. So if they are still this bad, I, I don't know if they keep the roster together as constructed for the rest of the season, because they that's a lot of money that they've sunk into a lot of guys that are either not performing to their contracts or just are hurt or have been hurt. And it's not really clicking at all for them. Tommy, they run differential wise. They're still an 80 win team. That's only 28 games worse than the white Sox. <laughs> There's hope. I mean, they got five months. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, normally what we're going to try to do for folks um, still listening, bless you for it, or maybe even watching. See Check out Tommy. That's Tommy Barry, man. Um, we might get into breaking down stuff, especially as things maybe get intense where, you know, it's like, oh my God, must win or, you know, certainly something in the playoffs because, you know, we're going to be in the playoffs, right? Um, but, you know, I tend to do it a little fast and loose. So I'm not sure we're going to necessarily break it down that bad. Um, and so I'm not going to necessarily go through pitching matchups, you know, for this coming series. And that I think it's enough to say it's must win for Minnesota and they don't got a gear that they can kick must win into Nelson Cruz can't hit. I think I hit. Well, it's I shouldn't, not like he's, shouldn't use him as an example, but well, I mean, he'll probably hit a home run every time he makes contact, but he's not batting in every yeah, position gets, in the order. Yeah, like he still gets five at bats. Okay. Exactly. Five runs. So I actually know what you got to beat. Yeah, you're right. right. I mean, it yeah. is one guy and they got enough guys who are going to well offset uh, Nelson Cruz going realizing, oh, that's the White Sox time to go to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, 
it's a surprise that this team is so bad. And I remember, you know, going back to our preseason predictions, you astutely picked a division win, although very boldly gave them 86 wins, which, you know, we can laugh at now, but that wasn't that crazy. I thought it was odd that you were putting those two things together. They didn't seem to go together. I, on the other hand, I think had my White Sox two, three wins better and not even in the playoffs. So I'm a, right. a bigger idiot than you, Tommy. But, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, people were talking up the twins for good reason. I mean, I remember even going into last year, which of course we never really got to truly play and people saying, man, this is an upper nineties win team. I thought, you know what? I'm not sure. I see what, what's there, there for the twins. I see them being good and maybe a division winner. And it turns out they were, I see this at best being a, a low nineties win team. I see Cleveland potentially things go right for them being a, right. being a low nineties win team. And that's what I thought for the white Sox. I really thought it'd be more of a dog fight. I guess that's what we've had for, for five, six weeks of the season, but I think there's one team that's got a lot of fight and I'm not sure what any of these other four teams are going to be able to fight. Cleveland with their pitching might hang. They're getting enough hitting. They're only a game behind. Maybe it's going to be a Cleveland White Sox battle this year. Yeah, that was kind of what I thought it would be going into the prediction because Cleveland is the only team that, that truly scares me based on their pitching and they have a lot of young hitters mm -hmm. and it's, you have no idea what you're going to get with a lineup that's that young and it's like okay if june july they could all magically find their power josh Naylor could turn into a home run hitter and and start you know bashing the lineup and, and then they they have something but the twins on the other hand are kind of at that other side of the hill where a lot of the players that they brought in are older and had their moments last year but you can't rely on that type of repeat performance from you know guys that are 34 35 or in jay hap's case 38 and you don't know what you're going to get out of them and that's that's the risk um you know and the for the twins too even in spring training a lot of their prospects that they were relying on i think to help kind of offset and and fill in the gaps haven't really worked out on the schedule that they were hoping for yeah. so they might have been hit harder than some of the other teams in terms of losing that season of minor league baseball because of the pandemic um yeah the scary thing about cleveland is that cleveland has has they've held serve with the white Sox. they've shown yeah. that they can pretty much go to toe to toe and it really could end up being a, a pretty exciting Five with them, even though on paper, even with the White Sox injuries, it seems like this this doesn't really make sense. It doesn't match up. Um, so yes, in other words, uh, dear listeners, uh, we, we are officially looking past the Minnesota series. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you want to throw some boot, you want to hex us for that, you want to give us trouble for that, you want to um, clap back on us for that. Hey, so be it. This is the kind of takes you're going to get from us. We don't care about um, superstition or voodoo. Well, yeah, we're looking past Minnesota. We're looking past Minnesota to Kansas City. Another there big Kansas go. City series. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, tasty. One of these days we'll stop playing Kansas City and we'll stop playing Cleveland. Uh, and I guess that'll be just replaced with Minnesota after Minnesota after Minnesota. After, after Minnesota. Minnesota. But these are the these are the days to be playing the piranhas because they're not piranhas anymore. Those piranhas got sort of fat. They got sort of sluggish. They sort of can't pitch anymore. And the yeah. one guy who can actually do all of those things except pitch is now broken again, even though he can, uh, I don't know if you saw that graphic where they took Buxton against, I think, the slowest guy. The slowest, he yeah. Almost lapped, he almost lapped mm -hmm. him twice just going around the bases once. The guy's amazing, but, you know, you got to have two legs to run and two arms to uh, swing and throw. And um, sorry, Byron, We're, we'll Doesn't miss you. Right now. We'll miss yeah. you this week. Yeah. Uh, all right. Believe in White Sox fans, lis uh, listeners, uh, we have an off day with the White Sox on Monday. The Minnesota series that we're looking past, that's I blame Tommy. I didn't do it. Uh, we're looking past that series in the midweek. And then we get another delightful series with the Royals. And boy, uh, the Royals have lost, I think, eight in a row. Um, eight in a row. Uh, it's the way it should be. It's the natural order of things. Uh, the Royals are supposed to be awful. Uh, the anomaly of them being in first place. It was, it's just bad for baseball. It's a bad look for the country. And it's good that they are now back under 500. And let's plan on having the White Sox shovel the last scoops of dirt on the Kansas City Royals next weekend, just so we can get these guys out of the way. Maybe if Cleveland's left standing, and maybe by um, All-Star break, we'll have taken care of them. Then we just have yeah. a nice, how about a nice cruise of a, of a second half, Tommy? Wouldn't that be nice? 
Would we no know what to do with like, ourselves? Yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> right. What was that? Picking on Han? <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be picking apart Justin Jurchell and oh man, it's, it's, we can guarantee controversy for you either way. We're gonna have some feisty things to say here on the Believe in White Sox podcast, and we do thank you for joining us on our first premiere edition. Man, we rambled on for about an hour, Tommy. And again, I'm gonna blame you. I, you know, we ran long because Tommy had so much great stuff to say. Jeez. Talk a lot. What can I say? You bothered to, you bothered to click on this podcast. You're going to get some knowledge. <laughs> Jeez. But we'll be back. Uh, our plan, I think, is maybe we're going to try to go between every series. Uh, don't hold us to that. We're certainly going to go. Uh, we're certainly going to go weekly minimum, but uh, we'll try to at least squeeze in a couple a week. So I hope you'll uh, continue to rush back and tune in and hear what else Tommy's, what, what other knowledge he's going to drop on you. And who knows, at some point, Okay, by the way, anybody, if there's any audio difficulties in this podcast, it's Tommy's fault. He's the engineer, even though he really isn't. But let's put it this way. If there's enough technical, you know, Tommy, I did about three podcasts the other day. My, yeah, it was, yeah, it was on. So, so Darren Black was like, speak, you got to shout, speak up. I can't hear. I'm like, dude, I got this thing here. What was it? And it wasn't even plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tommy, it's plugged in. So I don't think there are technical difficulties, but they are. I might have to throw you under the bus. But no, if there are, hey, you know, Engineer Tommy's going to take over and he's going to like the music. I was probably going to like highlights. We're going to probably have like a, we're going to have some really cool like read throughs of ad copy when somebody decides to sponsor Believe in White Sox. Hey, guys, come on, sponsor Believe in White Sox. The ad reads will be delightful between the two of us. Trust me. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have some fun with it this year. We're really happy to finally, even though opening day is about five weeks in the rearview mirror. Hey, we jumped on at the right time. The White Sox are in first place. They're not looking back. So this is the time to start the podcast. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we'll be back at you uh, no more in a week. So keep on checking back in. Subscribe. Check us out on Spotify, wherever you do your podcast. I don't you know. Again, I'm, I'm point and shoot. Tommy's the engineer, so he can tell you all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, we had fun. I hope you guys did too. And, uh, you know, we'll be back at this uh, uh, real soon, probably after the Minnesota series. Well, we're both, Tommy and I, will be cackling over how easily that went. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks, Tommy, for hopping on for the first. All right. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.